Kenobi. Don't tell me someone's finally knocked the fight out of you. Wake up! Ventress? It looks like I'm here to rescue you. When did you become the good guy? Don't insult me. Oh, what a lovely sight to wake up to. Don't flatter yourself, Kenobi. You've never been much to look at. Especially now. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones in this episode. After being restored to power by Mother Talzin, Darth Maul takes Savage on a quest for revenge against Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan soon finds himself in a spot of deadly bother against the brothers until Asajj Ventures arrives to throw a hydro spinner in the works of Maul's horrific plans. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho, a Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars, and next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he's the Mother Talzin. To my mall, it's your trusty pal Robbie. How's it going, everyone? And we are going to talk about the 88th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's written by Katie Lucas, it's directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell, and it's season 4, episode 22, the season 4 finale, and it's called Revenge. So, Robbie, let's launch this one with you letting us know what you remembered about season 4, episode 22, Revenge, from the first couple of times you watched it. I mean, I just remember being in a whirlwind of of emotion here you know i'm like ah this is so it's kind of silly that he's back and they brought him back but man this is cool <laughs> you know what i mean it's one of those things where i guess in a lot of ways sometimes we kind of have to you know I, I guess it just depends on the way that you can sort of divorce yourself from some of the ideas that you had in the past and just enjoy what you're watching i mean i have to say that this is one of those times where i accept that maul's back and i accept that he's gonna throw a wrench into uh, this sort of this sea of characters that we've built up so far and he's just going to be a tornado of chaos and it's going to be fun to see how things shake up. I mean, that's kind of how I took him when he returned the first time. So I don't know. It's weird. I don't second guess it anymore. You know, I just kind of accepted it. But I'm, I'm kind of curious from your point of view. I mean, I, I know that you knew that he was back. But, like, from your point of view, do you like that he's back? Do you feel like it's... I have no idea. I don't even want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, I had accepted that he was back because just because I knew, you know, there was never going to be any way to question it because I'd seen Solo. And because I had heard from listening to so many Star Wars podcasts over the years, I knew that Maul had survived and I'd heard about the spider legs and all that stuff. And it's interesting to look at this story. We just happen to be doing it now in the wake of The Rise of Skywalker and another character who was brought back that was that had, uh, you know, fallen down a shaft and been presumed dead. And the survival of Maul is one of those things that really makes me wish that I'd been along for the ride at the time of the original release of these episodes just to be able to experience the fandom's response to it, right. you know, in real time at the time. And here in Revenge, we get Maul's response to Savage's observation that Maul had survived. You know, Maul's response is kind of dismissive. He says, of course I survived. And it almost makes you wonder, is that the Clone Wars way of, you know, telling the fans that 
of course, you know, of course he survived. He's more in a way. Is there a meta element to that? Of so just accept it and go with it. Yeah, uh, of that. Yeah, of that being Dave's or you know the storyteller's way of saying that, as if it was ridiculous to suggest that he wouldn't have survived being cut in half pretty bad. You know, I mean, speaking of being cut in half pretty bad, Robbie, have you seen the John C. Riley classic? Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Yes. Someone gets cut in half pretty bad in that film too, very much like Maul in fact. And I won't spoil for anyone who hasn't seen it whether the character in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story ended up with spider legs <laughs> or a mother tells in spooky levitation treatment. But I do recommend that film wholeheartedly. I mean, you're a fan, right, Robbie? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of funny... It's a weird movie though. That's a, that's a strange one, but I like it. It's one of the greats. It's one of my favorite films of this... Millennium, Robbie. <laughs> Not just because it's hilarious and has a super fun soundtrack and stars John C. Riley. You know, he's one of the most greatest and most talented actors of our age. The dude has the voice of an angel and he can be hilarious and he can be serious. He's one of the greatest actors of our time and so underrated. But also, the other reason I love it is that anyone who was a fan of seeing Maul cut in half in The Phantom Menace can enjoy seeing someone cut in half and walk hard a Dewey Cox story. So if that's the sort of fix that you want, troops, walk hard a Dewey <laughs> Cox story. Now, but I digress, Robbie. The note I was actually trying to steer toward was the revelation that a massive factor in Maul's survival was that hatred itself kept his spirit alive. And this was something that I already knew from, you know, I've, like I said, I've listened to Sam Whitworth interviews. I know a lot of this story already, but here I'm experiencing it for the first time. So I don't know how much you recall, but... What do you remember about the fandom's response in 2012 to the Revenge episode? How plugged in were you to the conversation and the general fandom, you know, on the forums and the message boards and what have you? And what do you remember about the revelations that came from this episode about just how and why more was still around? I don't remember exactly what other people were kind of saying at the time. But for me, you know me, I love character. So we're learning about Maul. And seeing Maul from a, a point of view that we never really had before. Like the fact that he is actually feels like a character yeah. now. And it was like, yeah. I love the idea. I'm already a fan of him. And I had never been a fan of him before. And just from these two episodes, I've started, I've become a Maul fan all of a sudden. Yeah, and I loved, I loved the idea that he really feels that he was on a path. And Obi-Wan came in and screwed up that path. And took him away from who he was meant to be. And that he ruined everything. It's a good old destiny, Robbie. It's always running through Star Wars. Yeah, and it's something that I loved. I mean, yeah, you could say, oh, well, you know, he cut me in half and I fell down the, the shaft. But it's thinking about what that must have been like, you know. And I love the idea that, you know, Mother Talzin is, is just kind of taking away those. It's almost like she's stripping out the insanity from his head. Yeah. You know, the black parts. Those dark, shadowy sort of spirits. It's so cool. And I just really like that. And then all that we're left now is his pure focus and his rage. And it's just there's something... There's something really cool about that. And really like, like, okay, we have just met what might be the most dangerous. I mean, more dangerous than... Because now he's a loose cannon, you know? There's nobody holding him back. There's no Palpatine pulling the strings. Right. You know, he's not like Dooku. He's not like Grievous. I mean, it seems like a bigger threat. Maybe it's just me. But it seems like a bigger threat at this point than anyone else on the scene. Which makes him even more interesting. And I want to know more. And that's why I was... I liked reading at that point. I remember digging into some of the comics 
and things like that. And I really got me interested in it because he was such a loose cannon. And I just like that part of it. That's almost chaotic, you know, I mean, dare I say almost like the Joker in a way. Well, I was just going to say, I knew that was coming, Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he reminds me of that too. I like characters with nothing to lose. What do crazy, insane characters do when there's nothing to lose? It's kind of an interesting thing that I like thinking about and delving into. Well, someone else who wants to delve into what's up with Maul, of course, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he has a lot invested in trying to take care of the Maul problem, although I did find it a little bit odd that he decided to go alone or that the Jedi's sent him alone or maybe it was a thing that in retrospect it seemed odd because the threat seemed to be that if you don't come alone i'm going to massacre more people but he does go alone and everyone's massacred anyway so it was almost like everyone fell for his bluff so you know i mean i don't want to question that too much it was just a little bit odd that everyone did go alone without any sort of backup to pick him up because it was almost like a hostage situation you know everyone you can go alone but Maul is going to wreck more people if you don't go alone and so that was just a little question mark I had over that part of the episode and it's also weird too because it almost seems like he and maybe the Jedi Council are not aware that Savage Opress is even part of this issue yeah. that if it's just Maul to deal with because I mean it's, he almost feels like he's completely taken by surprise the fact that, that Savage Opress is there oh yeah he is totally <laughs> He's totally taken by surprise. So, yeah, I mean, that may be part of the situation. Like, yeah, I can deal with this guy. I can deal with him by myself. But when he's got this other guy that he's <laughs> he's also got to deal with, this guy that he's already met and dealt with before, yeah, it seems like I should have made a different choice. Yeah, they assume he's going to be alone, which seems like, uh, I mean, I guess that's what happened. But that seems like a risky <laughs> assumption yeah, for someone, you know, for a council full of people who are, I mean, we've read Sun Tzu. I know you would think that the Jedi Council would have read Sun Tzu as well. And, you know, Sun Tzu would have been shaking his head if he had, I mean, I'm sure the troops out there know that I'm referring to the art of war by Sun Tzu when I say that. But this was very tactically and strategically unwise for a council full of wise elders. But, you know, once we skip past that, we get to a lot of fun stuff in this episode. One of the reasons this is so fun, of course, is Ventress is along for the ride. And one of the things I liked about the early scene with Ventress is that none of the other bounty hunters in the bar even dream about challenging her. When she claims the lucrative bounty on Savage, there's all this hubbub. Oh, what's this? The Savage? One of the, (laughs) I like that one of the guys says, who is this savage oppress? But once Ventress speaks up, everyone's silent and she waltzes in and takes it and no one challenges her at all. It's almost as if her reputation is already starting to become pretty well founded in that bounty hunter community. Yeah. And there was something that at least when, when I was watching it this time, I kind of forgot that she was a part of it. It's weird. I forgot that she was a part of this episode because I forgot where the battle takes place. Like, I knew that there was the confrontation, but I forgot that there was the battle, you know, between the four of them in that cargo hold or whatever that is. But, man, it was like, oh, yeah, Asajj is in this. This is, I mean, again, it's a weird thing for me to say that, especially from hearing from you and then, of course, you know, my wife, who's been watching Clone Wars with me, you know, over the years that everybody is was always a fan of Asajj Ventress and I just wasn't for the longest time until I got to experience her whole story which maybe we'll get more of that later all right but uh I just really really 
love her character. So it's a joy to see her again, you know? And it's especially a joy when we get that uh, Katie Lucas dialogue between Ventress and Obi-Wan just after she wakes him up. I mean, mm-hmm. my, the first time I met Ventress, if you watch this in chronological order, I still remember the first time that Ventress turns up on the scene and it's in Hidden Enemy. And straight away, she's kind of flirting with Obi-Wan. And here we get Obi-Wan <laughs> asking Ventress, when did you become the good guy? And Ventress, don't insult me. And Obi-Wan, what a lovely sight to wake up to. And Ventress, don't flatter yourself, Kenobi. You've never been much to look at. And <laughs> I'm sure that everyone can agree that my impressions are top-notch by now. But oh, yeah. even Ventress hands Obi-Wan one of her lightsabers and tells him, I want that back. And Obi-Wan replies, that's fine. Red's not my color. It's just so much fun when these two characters are together. And I want more of this, really. Yeah. <laughs> Obi-Wan and Ventress, put them together anytime. I mean, I like that they fly off at the end of it together. And you can imagine what the rest of that journey to wherever they're going is like. You know, what's going on between the two of them, them sniping at each other the whole way. But I don't think you can ever go wrong when you put Ventress and Obi-Wan together. Yeah, and it was... It's a cool thing to see Obi-Wan using a red saber yeah. back-to-back with Asajj Ventress. I mean, it's such a an unexpected thing to... It's one of those things like you didn't know you wanted. Right. And, th- man, there was so much red in this episode. Yeah. I mean, it is like... It's almost blinding how red it is because everybody's using a red saber at, at one point and it's just like, wow. I mean, right from the Clone Wars logo at the start, right? These last two episodes with Maul back, the red Clone Wars logo that opens the episode. Yeah, it's... And then red all through. I mean, the last episode as well, orange and red, the whole thing. Yeah. Burning, like the whole world is on fire now that Maul's turned back up. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's so much fun to see all of these characters interact, you know? And it's almost like, I don't know about you, but as soon as Ventress comes on the scene, you're kind of like, okay, how is Maul going to react to her, you know? And that's something that I hope that we see in the future. But yeah, it's just... It's just a, it's such so much fun. It's it's different dynamics coming together. It's just a joy to watch. Yeah, that fight at the end is pretty epic. Seeing Obi Wan and Ventress at one point, they take turns fighting each of the Death and Mary brothers. They sort of switch out and then they switch back, and then Ventress has to fight Savage for a while without a lightsaber, and then Obi Wan gets his own lightsaber back and he tosses the one that Ventress had lent to him back to her, and then we see Maul's trash talk, reminding Obi Wan of how he had struck down had killed Master Qui-Gon while Obi-Wan was helpless to stop it and that brings out the rage that brings the rage out of Obi-Wan and Maul starts to get the upper hand and even taunts Obi-Wan that his rage is un-Jedi-like and has messed him up but even with Maul saying exactly why Obi-Wan is starting to lose Obi-Wan is still unable to get back on top and of course by the end Obi-Wan has to acknowledge to Ventress that the two of them are outmatched by the brothers and I know that in some past episodes some of these scraps you sometimes haven't been a fan of how the power dynamic has played out and you've sometimes felt like it hasn't made sense that one fighter is able to do what they do against another fighter I think the most recent examples were in the Zygerian arc when Obi-Wan seemed to have a lot of trouble fist fighting Darth Denar and then later when the Jedis and Rex were overwhelmed in the slaver pits by the Zygerians with their whips so how did you feel about the way that Savage who was a much less experienced force user than either Obi-Wan or Ventress and Maul who has one he's been out of practice from for years decades even two he's just been fitted with a new undercarriage he's still getting used to and three Obi-Wan beat Maul the last time they tussled so I was a little bit surprised by just how well the brothers did against Ventress and Obi-Wan, who are more experienced, and I would have expected, would have had a much better time against the brothers. Well, it's a weird thing, because 
the more that you're talking about it, the more it's bringing up questions that I didn't consider when I was watching it. And oh, I, I shouldn't have said anything, Robbie. No. I'm not trying to ruin any battles for you. I figured you would be coming up with the same note. <laughs> no, it's well thought out, but I think the reason that I believed it so much is because I feel like Obi-Wan was thrown off guard, way, you know, big time. Right. And he's beaten up pretty bad before the fight starts. Yep. And then I don't think Ventress expected to meet two very, very... <laughs> <laughs> very, very bad guys walking into this thing. Sure. So I kind of feel like, in a way, I, I just feel like they just weren't prepared for it. I think it's one of those things where I feel like mentally, if everybody's coming in fresh, I mean, I, you know, Obi-Wan wins the day. And like Asajj maybe, maybe could beat Savage, but maybe not. Sure. And we saw her have trouble with Savage when she was taking on, well, Savage and Dooku at the same time. I mean, that was a right. bit of a complicated situation, but we do know that Savage is, I mean, for an inexperienced sort of brand new force user and, and lightsaber fighter, he's, we already have seen that he can be very effective. And yeah, I am with you on that explanation about Obi-Wan. I mean, it was the same one that I talked about in that slaver pit battle, you know, Obi-Wan had, yeah. had the, I mean, this is this whole season for Obi-Wan, right? Yeah. This whole season, poor old Obi-Wan has, I mean, it's re- and it's really only the second half of the season because I think in the first half of season four, aside from maybe small little cameos, you know, maybe he's on the holograms and what have you, we don't even really see him in season four until his Igerian arc starts in episode 12. And then he gets the tar beat out of him in all three of those episodes and separate things. And then in the Moralo Ival arc, he has to have his facial bone structure rearranged and swallow a massive spider droid to change his voice. And here he gets worked over by the brothers. It's like the people making the show thought, Let's see what, let's see how much everyone can take and really, you know, get beat him up a bit. I mean, I hope he gets a bit of a, a holiday in between the end of season four and season five because, man, everyone <laughs> needs to go to Naboo or, you know, some, needs to go to that spa retreat. I know they only do droids, the one that we saw in Evil Plans, but needs to go to somewhere and recover because, man, everyone's been through the ringer in season four, Robbie. Yeah, and he's the, it's one of the things that I, I actually made a note about is, you can see that he's... I mean, at the, at the beginning of the episode, he's like almost like overcome with purpose. And it's something that's really cool, but he also looks on the way there. I don't know if this was on purpose, but he almost looks weary before he gets there. There's something about the way he looks. Now that scene of him reacting in the hologram room, that is amazing. The What, what the animators did with his face in that scene, yeah. the expressions that they put on his face. I mean, that we've talked about this before, about the animators are essentially the physical actors. Right. And the way that they handled his face and the performance that they gave everyone in that hologram scene at the start, that's that was so impressive to me. And, and actually touching, like moving, to see what everyone was going through there. Yeah, and it's just like, I feel like in a lot of ways, he was just really... Just a whirlwind of emotions come, going on, you know, for him. And, and you know, it doesn't help to uh, to get the, the tar beat out of you, you know, for however long before before the, the fighting actually starts. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, I know we keep saying it, but, man, you can just see the strides they're making in their animation skills is just ridiculous. It's a lot of fun to see. Sure. And we could also say that everyone was using that curved lightsaber that he'd never fought with before. You know, it wasn't his regular lightsaber. It was one of Ventress's blades. And, you yeah. know, he's not used to seeing a red thing coming out of his face. So who knows? I think there's plenty of ways we could look at that of fight. And, you know, it makes sense. And, like, I, I didn't really have a problem with it. And I did like that, you know, even while he's going through all this emotional turmoil, he's still got these lines. It's not even just the banter that he has with yeah. Asajj. You know, there's a moment when he's getting the heck beat out of him and Maul says, 
anything more to say. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to do Sam Witwer justice, but you know, go with me here. Yeah. Anything more to say? And everyone says, I like your new legs. They make you look taller. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they do just enough to cut the tension. They remember that this show does have a junior audience as well. So yeah. when this, everyone's going through this horrific stuff, Katie Lucas remembers to just, you know, he's still Obi-Wan Kenobi. That spirit of Obi-Wan is still there in him yeah. all that time. But I do like seeing him lose his cool a little bit when he brings up Qui-Gon. I mean, that is yeah. a lot of... I just like it. And it's it's almost like, uh, in a way, it kind of reminded me, and I'm sure it's it may have been intentional, but it kind of reminded me of when Vader brings up Leia to Luke yep. in Return of the Jedi, and Luke just starts... I mean, he's like, I don't care what, what makes contact with these lightsabers. I'm coming after you, you know? And it's just fun to see that, that kind of, you know, they're losing their cool a little bit. That's so out of character for Obi-Wan. We don't see that right. from Obi-Wan very often, and so yeah. it's amazing to see. Yeah, he's definitely uh, off kilter in this one. It's good. Well, speaking of things that are good, Robbie, let's talk about our favorite shots of the episode. Oh, you go first, so I don't steal yours. What was your favorite shot of revenge? Well, I mean, I think this is kind of, it's probably obvious for me. It's the shot of Maul with the flames behind him. Yeah. It's just so cool. But there are a lot of cool shots in this episode. So yeah, I'll hand it over to you and I might bring up a couple more if you uh, if you don't take mine. Well, I did have that one noted, but the one I was going to choose for my shot of the episode is the one that was kind of most affecting to me was seeing Savage walk through the horror of the Dathomir battlefield with all the Sisters still laying where they fell. Mm. I mean, that massacre episode really had an impact. I mean, I said it at the time, it was an episode that made me pretty sad, and so this brought back that horror. And I also have a note here that I liked... Maul, I mean, this is a bit more fun than the shot I chose, but I like the one with Maul and Savage going all WWE, or I should say WWE these days, right? <laughs> uh, when Maul force pushes Obi-Wan into a Savage clothesline yeah. just after they ambush Obi-Wan on Red Donia. So a little bit of uh, pro wrestling up in the house there, Robbie. So, but what else did you have uh, in your list of shots to note? Well, mine was a pretty simple one. Well, there's a couple more. The arrival on Dathomir, the ship is in darkness, and as it turns, it kind of comes into the light, and it just looks cool the way it... I just remember, I noted it because I was like, man, that's cool looking. And then uh, the other one was, well, of course, the uh, Obi-Wan and Asajj back-to-back. It's just kind of a cool, iconic thing. But what about that one when Obi-Wan gets there, and that estromech droid is just bouncing into the wall, (laughs) like just running into the wall, and you're like, what happened there, you know? Yeah, we haven't even talked about that scene about how it's set up with those kids and the women the women and children, uh, Robbie. And they're so hopeful that the supply ship's turning up. They're so happy to see the supply ship turn up. And then... It's pretty messed up. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty messed up. But yeah, it even with all that, it you know, you kind of have to say it's a fun episode. I almost feel bad saying it now, <laughs> now that you bring that up at the end. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has its charms, Robbie. So before we bring it in for a landing, we better sum it up and give our ratings... So after your third ever watch of Revenge, how did you like it? And where does Revenge sit on that four-star Robbie scale? I'm going to give this one a three and a third. <laughs> so so 3.33 repeating. But yeah, I really like it. There's there's just a lot of things where, and I wouldn't say that there are even you know, problems with it. It's just that it doesn't hit me as hard as some of the other episodes, but it sure is fun to see an unhinged mall you know, without any sort of shackles and chains on them. And this is this is what we're going to get. And it's only going to get more interesting from here. So it's fun. It's fun stuff. Yeah, I oddly felt the same way as you. I mean, there are a lot of 
cool things and interesting things and impactful things in this, in this episode but overall it, I mean I'm going to say it just comes out as a 7 as if that's a bad mark you know a 7 is still a good mark for me a 7 means that I will still look forward to watching it again whenever I do a rewatch of the series but so what What I have to call it 7 um, I didn't think of this one ahead of time Robbie what is it it's 7 what happened in this episode that I could uh, pick out from what could it be I don't want to say seven astromech joints bumping into the wall out of ten because that was one of the saddest bits of the episode but you seven. know now that you bring it up it did kind of stick with me yeah, seven so- children waiting for supplies no <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible that's terrible let's just say seven quips between Obi-Wan and Asajj Ventress out of ten and yeah. that is mission accomplished and that is mission accomplished for season 4 episode 22 revenge so Robbie won't you please let the troops out there know if they want to tell us what they reckon about revenge what are our communications channels alright we are Bucho and Robbie at gmail twitter and instagram that's b-u-c-h-o-a-n-d-r-o-b-b-y yes sir and of course the troops can join us again next time for the 89th episode in the starwars.com clone wars chronology season 5 episode 2 We're into season five and we're jumping episode one, Robbie. And it's a war on two fronts. And until then, this is your old buddy Bucho alongside trusty pal Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform. And Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.